Hey, everybody, this is Mark Stein, uh, lead singer, keyboard, classic band, Vanilla Fudge. And uh, guess what? You're listening to Brutally Delicious Podcast. In the effort to come back, it's awesome. We were really looking forward to the interview because the, the track is great. And the video is extremely powerful. <clears throat> Which track are you talking about? Pray for Peace. Oh, okay, cool. So anyway, Super I'll get powerful. started. Yeah, I'll get started because I have really bad internet and I'll let them take over. Thank you for joining us. I'm Bruce. My partner is Chris and Rena. And Chris, if you want to jump Bruce, in, go yeah. ahead. Well, I kind of understand why you did Pray for Peace. Like, I get it. But what drove you to, to really try and work with charity organizations and, and do that kind of thing. And was that a difficult situation to, to kind of navigate? No, it wasn't difficult at all. I mean, I wrote, I wrote Let's Pray for Peace a number of years ago, you know, during multiple terrorist attacks around the world. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, um, I didn't write it specifically for the Ukrainian cause, but I had it, you know, in my catalog and, you know, the first time I actually played it live was uh, at the Sweden Rock Festival, <laughs> okay? And uh, we were a little apprehensive about doing the song because it was a heavy metal, heavy rock festival, you know, and ballads like that, that kind of a message. But you know what I was, it was during the time that Paris <clears throat> was uh, being attacked by terrorism and threats to Belgium, Scandinavia, so... Uh, you know, we decided to do it. So I, I did dedicate it to the people of Paris and Belgium and everybody in Europe and around the world. And we're going to do something a little different right now. We hope you like it. And it went over great. And from then on, uh, I've been performing Let's Pray for Peace around the world in concerts with Vanilla Fudge and my own band. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, when the Ukrainian, uh, you know, when, when this war started, we thought... Uh, because this song is always relevant. Yeah. And uh, the record company thought it would be a good idea to put this video together, which correlates with the Ukrainian cause. So I thought they did a great job integrating everything. And uh, we put the video out, you know, and at the bottom of the page, there's a link where anybody can, uh, first of all, all the proceeds from, the, from it is going to UNICEF, you know, for the Ukrainian children and their families. So if you go to the bottom of the page, you'll see a link where you can access it. And, uh, you know, if you feel like there's something you want to do, you should do it because uh, they need the funds as much as possible right now. So so that's how it all happened. Great. Cool. What was it like performing it at Swedish Rock Festival? Like you say, that's like a heavy metal festival. When you played it there, were you kind of apprehensive at first? And did you kind of win the audience? I over was. Well? It's like I, yeah, it's like I mentioned, I was apprehensive. And um, we decided to do it with just keyboards, a little acoustic guitar and bass. Very simple song and a simple message. You know, it's just big piano and strings. And, you know, the, the, you know Pete Bremmy and Vinnie Martell came in with the really nice harmonies from the fudge. And, and I think, uh, yeah, I was a little apprehensive about it, like I said, but uh, it sounded, you know, really cool and, and it's like I said, the people really appreciated it, and they got a great response. So uh, a I message song of the, like that is always relevant, no matter what. That, yeah, it's yeah, like, like 
In my experience, or Chris, in my experience, all the metalheads are like, yes, dead corpses in paradise and death and war. And then it's like, oh, a kitty, you know, right. oh, a puppy. No, so this is, you know, metalheads are actually huge softies. And I would imagine a song like this would actually resonate really well. Well, and I mean, I, I remember coming off stage and people were like swarming me and saying, wow, it was a great vocal, what a great song, man. You know, thank you so much. And, you know, it felt really good. Because I knew it was the right thing to do at the right time, so right. yeah, I was prepared to uh, to hear anything that they had to say to the contrary. But fortunately, it was positive uh, all around, so that was cool. And then I went and sang it in Finland. It was the same thing while we we're you know over there touring Scandinavia. So it was uh, all right. It was great. What? Where in Finland? Oh, it was, I don't know. <clears throat> I don't remember where. <clears throat> it was a really cool venue. Really? So my, my country left no impression, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Rena's I'm, actually I'm, well, I'm finished. Some, I'm in I, I, I thought I loved it. I, in fact, when we landed, but the, by the, I think was it the Baltic Sea or the Black Sea? Is it? Uh, Baltic is? Sea. <clears throat> yeah. When we got out of the, the plane, landed from Latvia. We we landed. You know, in the Finland, uh, the airport. There, we got out. You know, by the ocean. I remember. The air smelled so incredible. I never, it was uh, so much oxygen. It was so beautiful. And I said to the guys, wait a minute, don't, let's not get in the car yet. Let's stand here and breathe this air. And I mean, I don't remember ever breathing in air that was so pure and, and incredibly beautiful, to be honest. And then when we got to, to where we were going, it was such a beautiful country and the people were great and warm. But uh, you'll have to forgive me. I just don't remember which town it was. Oh, no worries. It's okay. I, I, I'm, I'm just, sure you've played a few moment. shows around the world, just one or two, right? <laughs> so, yeah, well, it's up to four or five now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> one every 12 years. Right. right. Yeah. So that would add to 60 years. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, put these guys on. Oh, there he is. Oh, yeah. hey. <laughs> Have you ever had situations like that with? Other songs where you're kind of apprehensive to play it at a certain venue, but you decided it was the right thing to do? Um, well, maybe when we were kids, the first time we played to keep me hanging on was such a, we thought it was such an innovative approach to, to the song and we didn't know how the audience was going to respond. We loved it. We felt very strong about it. We couldn't wait to unleash that, you know, that arrangement on, on, on the world back in the late 60s. But when it came out, everybody was like mesmerized because right. of the dynamics and the drama and the symphonic approach we had to music. So, you know, once once that happened, we had the confidence to, uh, you know, to move forward and, uh, you know, expose our music, our style of music to the world because, you know, it was getting played constantly on underground FM radio, WNEW in New York and, yeah. you know, L.A. and San Francisco and, Chicago, when we became the darlings, Vanilla Fudge of underground music in the late 60s. And everybody, man, came to see us play. I mean, I was a fan of everybody. The Fifth Dimension, Sonny and Sheriff, Canned Heat, all, all the bands that we, and the Mamas and the Papas, all the bands that we opened for and played with. Once the album was out and getting a lot of exposure, they started becoming fans of Vanilla Fudge. And it was just such a glorious time to be young and be in the middle of, the, in the center of the pop music universe so that's something i will treasure and never forget as long as i live you know 
that was a real revolutionary point in music history really you know it, it really just blew the uh, blew the doors off of what pe yeah. people thought could yeah. be done musically you know like even me growing up i always looked at that era as like i wish i was alive during that you know <laughs> like because yeah. i grew up i grew up with hair metal which i loved but i didn't grow up with like that so to speak well yeah it was a well it was a time of uh, discovery incredible uh creativeness it was i call it a you know total musical renaissance a cultural renaissance it was a time of the Viet not more it was a time of the beatles it was you know, it was just every it was all it was like the perfect storm of creativity everything coming together it was a great learning experience right and it was uh you know a time of a lot of drugs going on and free love yeah. and sex drugs rock and roll and we lived through it and we survived it all well, I mean, I did. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I'm here today to talk about it, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was cool, and it's amazing here we are. What are we? 55 years later, wow. and Vanilla Fudge is still playing. You know, we're still out on the road doing shows. We got shows coming up. I have a solo album out called "There's a Light," which is a collection of social issue songs that I've written, patriotic songs, songs of love. And uh, it's been really well received out there. I'm getting a lot of coverage, getting airplay in uh, like Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. And the album actually, you know, went to number one on one of the stations based on requests and airplay. Amazing. So a guy that's 75 years old to have something on the charts anywhere, I think is uh, pretty cool. Hold up, know? hold up, hold up. Did you say 75? Yeah, I'm 75 years old. Holy fuck! You look like you, you look like you're 40. I look older than you. This is <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> oh, well, wow. th thank you. Well, I mean, I'm the original singer and keyboardist in Vanilla Fudge. So our first album was 1967. So that's what wow. 55 that's what years born. ago. So yeah. I was 19 years old when I when I recorded that song. I was 20 years old when the wow. when the when we were out there kicking ass around the world, 20 and 21. So. Yeah, I've been fortunate that way, you know, I have to admit. Amazing. It's kind of like uh, that movie, The Age of Adeline, you know? Yeah. If, when you, you, know, look, if you know yeah. the theme about that music, about that movie, where she got struck by a lightning bolt and, you know, she stayed, she never aged like in a half a century. It was like, <laughs> so I guess maybe I got struck by that same lightning bolt when I was on the road somewhere. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was LSD, but I guess it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I appreciate that, guys. Um, something you. you have been doing something different than Keith Richards. You know that lightning has not touched him. You <laughs> well, instead of, uh, instead of instead of doing heroin and uh, drinking a lot of alcohol, I, I did a lot of H two O. Yeah, and I stayed married to the same woman. It's a fiftieth anniversary coming up July 9th. Congratulations, Patty. Congratulations. I, I really got kids. I got grandchildren. I got. I've led a really clean life. You know, I've stayed away from alcohol and drugs and I exercise and I, I've been lucky. It's in the genes. My mom was 90 and she, I remember, God rest us all. She always looked, everybody in my family just looked a little on the outside, looked younger That's you know, than, than they were. So I've been lucky that way. When you look back on that, that musical renaissance period and everyone, there was like this peace, free love, all that stuff. 
how do you think that movement has affected society like even now? That's a good question. You know, back in those days, it was uh, also new and uh, risk-free, should I say? You know, yeah. talk about love and, you know, the diseases weren't prevalent at that time, things like AIDS and a lot of the horrible stuff that, you know, that hit the uh, public. Um, how, how does it affect it now? Yeah. Well, I, I don't know how it affects it now. Um, I guess people in the now generation, if they want to look back in retrospect about how rock and roll evolved, they could read my book or any, any books on, on the, uh, the evolution of rock and roll, uh, see how things were, were done, you know, the level of uh, how kids were brought up in those days. There was no technology. It's like my grandson. I tell him there, there wasn't anything as like computers or, or you know, or, or smartphones or anything. Well, he says, I, I, would, I would have died. I said, you don't get it. You know, because he's a, him, like most kids are really technology wizards. So we, you know, we just played tag outside. We played stickball. We played baseball at the park. I went to school in the winters. You know, I had to get up early and walk all the way up the block and take buses to school. And right. We went to community centers and there was dances. And it was this discovery of rock and roll, this new energy force, you know, that came out among, you know, the, the youth. Um, it was an age of innocence, I believe. You know, I mean, it wasn't like, Today's incredible runaway inflation every time, you know, uh, gas was 29 cents a gallon. We used to fill up. I used to put $2 in the, in the gas tank. We, I'd be good for the weekend, you know? <laughs> so I yeah, have a, it was uh, amazing. I have a question for you. I was reading the bio and listening to your, you know, to the new songs and the new uh, There's a Light. The bio says um, it, it's a remar remarkable story of what America was, has become, and may or may not face in the future. Where do you think we're headed? Chris and I and Rena were just talking a little bit ago. Where does this go? What's what do you think the future is here? Well, if I if I you know what if I had a crystal ball, I'd rub it and I'd tell you right good, uh, in a minute's time. But I don't know where it's going to go. But right now, you know, uh, politically and. I think morally and in so many ways, we're in an incredible divide, you know? You got the left, you got the right, you got what's the horrible things that are going on with the automatic weapons, this thing in Evaldi, Texas, which is that unspeakable, horrible deed that son of a bitch from the devil did, you know? Yeah. I, you know, and it's been happening, it's been happening for, you know, for over a decade. Nothing seems to be done about it. I don't know why, automatic weapons aren't disbanded completely, you know, like heroin or something, you know? I mean, I, I think it's great to get a pistol for home protection. If you want to go hunting, if you're into it, you know, you have a 35 caliber deer rifle, but what, are you going to go hunting with a, with a machine gun? You know, I mean, what is why do we need that? Except for the military. It's absolutely insane. When the Second Amendment was written by James Madison, if I'm going back, 18-something, not whatever it was. The Second Amendment was we, we, we have the right to bear arms so we can protect ourselves against governments of tyranny, okay? But at the time, the, you know, the weapons they were using were long guns called muskets, flintlock rifles, that only a professional soldier could get maybe four shots off in one minute. One shot every 15 seconds if you were really great at it, you know? 
So I don't think, you know, I think that that Second Amendment has to be updated a little bit. I mean, give me a break, you know? It's just beyond common sense. Yeah. Why can't they yeah. see this? Why can't they Is change it- the law? I mean, an 18-year-old shouldn't have it, and nobody should have it, in my opinion. Yeah. It's insane, you know? And this is this is how the rest of the world looks at it. And this is this is how it feels surreal that you guys need to even have this conversation, that there are those who adamantly defend the right to have machine guns at home and, and to be able to obtain them with a 15-minute notice from your local department store. To like to the rest of the world, this is indeed insane. Well, I don't know what the answer is going to be. I mean, going forward, uh, boy, I don't know. I'll tell you one thing: the middle class is really getting hurt so bad with this runaway inflation, with gas prices, the price of food. It's absolutely insane, and it's getting worse. I don't know when it's going to end. I just wish we would. I mean, I think we have. In America, we have the uh, the ability to uh, create our own energy. You know, we have sources, you know, to get oil out of our own ground. And I, I don't know. I, I hate to get into politics, but how can you not get into politics when it's everything is uh, just so intense on so many levels? You know, I don't know. It is an intense time in history right now. And yeah, that's I mean, actually why I asked you about what, like the musical renaissance that went through that was also a very politically tense time and it brought up all this great music and it brought up people to do or to try to do the right thing or what they perceived to do the right thing but i don't really see that happening right now do you know what i mean like I, i don't see like i see the video that you released but i don't see like people releasing songs about like hey how do we deal with this or there's no political everyone's so scared to do it do you know what i mean like yes they're yeah. afraid they're afraid to bring politics into their art and i think well, maybe i'm not that's afraid a, i'm no, not afraid my album has songs like racism yeah songs like all lives matter songs like we are one and they reflect at the time the social conditions of america when i would inspire me to write these songs you know when I wrote racism, my band at the time said, there's no way we're going to do this video. They're going to come to your concerts. They're going to have signs. You're a racist and all of that, you know. But I wrote the song because it's, uh, you know, my feeling about the fact that it exists. It's, I'm not a racist. I mean, it was just talking about two young kids going to school, a black kid and a white kid, you know, just loved each other, holding hands. I would see a white child walk with a black child on their way to school smiling at each other like a sister and a brother laughing at the grown-up fools because they're way too young. Their lives have just begun to follow the golden rule of hating one another because their skin's a different color growing up in a world so cruel. You know, and it goes on about the moms and daddies. They could never get along throughout history. The venom's so strong. Shame on humanity for letting it get away from 400 years ago to this day. And it goes on racism. How did it ever start? It poisons the human heart. You know, and that's my message that that it exists and it's upsetting to me that it exists. So I wasn't afraid to do it because I was compelled to do it. And songs like All Lives Matter, when I had that other racial incident in Missouri, when the cops thought this black dude and the big country was up in arms over it. You know, and I I got I, I was compelled to write this song about, you know, blue lives matter, white lives matter. And yeah, black lives matter to God. 
He is our creator. I wrote it in a spiritual sense. And a couple of my African-American friends and fans, they were sending me messages. You don't get the old Black Lives Matter thing. And you don't get, I said, I understand, you know, it's, I understand it's an organization. I understand that African-Americans have been mistreated throughout history. There's no doubt in my mind about it, you know, but uh, this is a spiritual song about all lives matter to God. You know, if you could just see my side of it and they say, yeah, you know what? You got a good point there. You know, I never thought of it that way. Okay, dude, you got to pass, you know? Okay, great. <laughs> you understand where I'm coming from. So I haven't been afraid to do it, you know? People well, might be afraid to release some of my stuff until Deco thought the album had a great message, a, a thread of social commentary and patriotism and, and what have you. Right. So, yeah, But younger you know, younger artists aren't doing it, though. You know what I mean? Like, where, where the youth need to get fired up about what's happening, there's no artist speaking to them. They're afraid to get canceled. Right. Yeah, I guess. They're afraid to what? To get canceled. Everybody, that whole cancel culture is just a bunch of shit. Well, I don't know. I think as, as writers and artists, we have a duty to uh, reflect in our uh, lyrics and melodies and arrangements and emotion. That's what we do. You know, I think we have a duty to do it. You know, I mean, what the hell? I mean, we can't get played on radio anyway, so you might as well put it out there and get it on social media to be heard. <laughs> you know, I mean, radio is is shot you know it doesn't matter how great a song is or how great a record is or how bad it is you know these all these uh re, you know uh, fm stations around the world classic rock radio just play the same rotation the same format from the 60s and 70s and yeah. 80s but they won't play any new songs from artists like me from artists like anybody from my era right. you know, even artists even eric clapton even Deep Purple, they won't play the songs. I think it's insane. It's strange, don't you think? Like people, they they use your catalog for their station, but when you put out new material in their catalog, they're like, "Oh no, no, not that." Yeah. Well, how yeah. are we supposed to survive on 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 six thousandths of one cent on a stream? Yeah. Think of it. Point zero zero six. That's what you get paid basically for a stream. You want to get streaming income. Great. So I'll get a million streams, which I'll never get. And a million streams, if you take a calculator, adds up to $600. That's a million streams, all right? <laughs> 10 million streams is $6,000. So how the hell are we supposed to make an income? You know, the only way we do it is through touring, you know, doing live shows and selling merchandise. Yep. But yeah. in terms of making records from how many songs you've written, or unless you're Adele or Jay-Z or, you know, from that era, but cats like us, you know, we, we have a really, you know, that's why a lot of us stop being creative, you know? Yeah. yeah. There's there's some, like, new concepts coming along where, where the artist becomes more than just a musician, that you're basically just supposed to give more of yourself, like, that you can have a platform where your fans buy a VIP ticket, and then they get to chat with you, like, you know, have a texting session or, or whatever and like you know right. they get more access to you as a person and kind of that is the way that it is going now but uh what do you feel how do you feel about that do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing the fact that what not because you repeat the last part of that i'm sorry uh just like you know that the people are going to be able to interact more with the artists that they admire 
or at least that well, their artists can go down that route, get get a partner, get a get a online platform that offers oh, yeah. straight yeah. sales, for instance, to your fans. Like Bandcamp does that that does that now with the right. albums. Right. Or the music, but that then there's additional like gamification and communication and interaction that comes with it. Yeah, and yeah, that's no. sort of like the revenue stream. Yeah. Well that's kinda of happening with, with with me right now too. I mean, I got a lot of my music out there on all the social media platforms and I get I get lots of contact from a lot of fans, which is really good and it's been real positive. In terms of uh you know, in terms of monetary, I don't think there's anything really, you know to speak of to be honest right right um right thank you awesome. my friend i am so glad we got to work it out this time it was great talking to you yeah awesome i'm glad yeah i had a little glitch last time and no worries we got it all done thanks I for taking the time man. Over and... all right i hope everything thanks was cool i had a good time it was yeah good this time. Was really was really nice. talking about a lot of political issues <laughs> the podcast <laughs> a lot of heavy this... stuff for 30 minutes <laughs> this podcast is more it's not so much about like the the questions that everyone always asks it's more of a casual conversation with artists so people can find out more about their artists yeah really i thought this yeah. was really cool good i'm awesome. glad you i'm glad you got it and glad you enjoyed it and thank you again for taking the time oh well, my Thanks pleasure sir. man you guys stay safe all right you, you, well, too, man. you, you too have a good day bye right. bye we're out there. yes we're out there everyone i'm hal schwartz and I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much. We'll be seeing you.